Stop me if you've heard this one. An Okama, a bum, and a teenage runaway walk into a back alley and find a baby in the trash on Christmas. The Okama says, what's with this trash baby? Let's steal it. And then they do, and then jeopardize its life multiple times. In Satoshi Kon's feel-good holiday tragic comedy, Tokyo Godfathers. A, a tragic comedy? I read that on, um, on the Wikipedia. I was going to call it a dramedy. I, I feel like tragic comedy fits. I was just telling Kat, my partner who I watched the movie with, that I, I feel like tragic comedy is pretty accurate. We talked about how all the subject matter is like, incre- it would be incredibly dark, but the movie still manages to be like a feel good romp. So like, I feel like, like, cause like dramedy doesn't go far enough. Like it's not just a drama. Like it's like, you're getting into some heavy subject matter. That is definitely true. It is heavy subject matter. I'm starting the show, bastards. <laughs> Uh, no, I need to stop your start of this show. No, 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 Clam no, no. I'm not gonna let you. I'm not gonna let you besmirch the good name of our three main characters and say that they were endangering the lives of that kid and stealing the baby. They were. They had the best intentions. They were trying to prevent the baby from being harmed in this crazy ass world they're living in. All the bad shit that happened was around them, and they were protecting that baby. And God, obviously, was protecting the baby as well. But I just. You know what? chicken butt yeah that's exactly right there's some gen x humor for you <laughs> i here here's what i have to say sabrina this week on twitter i noticed that you responded to someone who said uh ruin a perfectly good movie by changing one minor <laughs> detail um and i forget what movie you responded yes. to but this movie would be like the bums bring the baby to the police, to the police. and that's the <laughs> end of the whole movie <laughs> And the baby is fine, and who cares what happens to anybody else? Well, you know what? You're ruining the show opening right now. I oh, hope so. All right, go ahead. We're about to play the music. <laughs> Have your precious opening. Let's play it. Are you ready to go? Pixel to Okashina Podcast. This is a very special episode. We're here celebrating the holidays by arguing with each other and talking over each other and My generally favorite. being drunken assholes. Uh, I haven't had anything although to I'm drink not yet. drinking. I'm not drinking either. So. <laughs> so we're just being assholes. Well, you can get drunk on oxygen. I suppose, but so don't you need specialized equipment for that? Who says I don't have it? Anyway. Me. Me, I say. This is know. our last show of 2020. Whew, what a year. <laughs> I'm Sabrina Ray, Queen of Christmas, here with Dawn of the Black Sabbath, and we have a new friend to introduce you to you tonight, Chris Hutton of Nervous Rex. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. I uh, I was all uh, heartwarming to be allowed to come on, and then I realized that I didn't just get a fancy title like the two of you had, and now I'm like, whatever, it doesn't mean anything. If you didn't get that oh, ready for me, then... Earn, you have to earn the fancy <laughs> title, my friend. All right, so if I do like, go- a good enough job on this podcast, by the end of it, you'll hook me up with one? Yes, right, cool. well, Dawn's going to hook you up All right, sweet. because mine are terrible. So, listener, that's how you know if I did a good job, is if by the end I get a fancy title. That's true. But if you don't get a fancy title, everyone's going to know it forever. Yeah, well, so. that's, you know, that's more your problem than mine. It's your podcast. That's true. That's true. It would be like, why do we keep inviting this guy without a title on our <laughs> yeah. show? How lame are we? Now, you and I both did Ava... Evangelion rewatch podcast. Oh, I didn't know you had a rival you might say podcast. They were rivals. Yeah, I didn't know. But this is the best because it's like the most one-sided rivalry where like you're competing with me and I have no idea you exist. Right. Well, you're nervous wrecks yes. with Joe. Yep. 
and we did I did Cruel Angels podcast with Dustin. So I kind of wanted to hear from you in your own words why my show was so much better. Oh, well, I would love to do that. Except again, I didn't know it existed. So <laughs> I didn't come with remarks prepared. I'm sure it was lovely. I'm sure you also misattributed the moral values of those characters on your intro as well. <laughs> Here's the thing about that. We finished first. Okay. And you guys took we, a very long time. We took time our to time. We 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 cared. We we uh put our podcast together with love. You slapped something together and turned it in before the deadline. We were late, but we made it good. Well, we're here to celebrate the holidays on this show, and we're gonna be talking about a movie called Tokyo Godfathers, which is probably I mean, I don't know a lot of anime, even though you know, we're doing this show. I don't know a lot of anime, but I do know that there's not a lot of Christmas anime. <laughs> You know, there's not a lot of anime themed around Christmas. And that's possibly because Christmas in Japan is not so much of a family gathering, like pre-built sort of holiday as much as it is a holiday for lovers, a holiday for... There's an aspect of it, but just to give you an idea, the traditions of Christmas involve cake and Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) So and they dress the colonel up as Santa Claus outside of his various like establishments. So theirs is way better than ours. That's first thing. Right. First. You also have to make reservations to buy Kentucky Fried Chicken Ooh. on Christmas because it is so popular. Do you think that in Japan they're fucking loving that uh, Colonel Sanders like rom com or not rom com? What is it? It's like a. You know what I'm talking about that? Oh, like, in the Lifetime yeah, show? Yeah, the Lifetime movie. Yeah, they're like loving that right now. I think they probably are. It just makes But sense. don't forget, if you go back to Project Aiko, which this might be dating us, but go back to Project Aiko and there's a horror movie in which Kentucky, Kentucky Colonel, I'm Kentucky sorry, Colonel Sanders, Colonel Sanders is the villain who's murdering that people. That sounds awesome. I need to look this up. It's just a, it's just like a little aside within a movie that. I think has merit, but I can't remember much about it except for the faux horror movie within it. Yeah, I'm not sure that's a great endorsement that uh, <laughs> you're suggesting. Watch this movie for approximately 30 seconds of footage. And then... Well, look, I'm going to do it. Luckily, there's this thing called the Internet. You could just turn Google on with the switch that says Google and a big red button. Right, and somebody turned that switch off earlier this week, right? <laughs> Possibly, yes. Um, Don, are you you aware of, uh, I forget what they call it, Wings of Desire? No, that's not right. I think that is, it's close. No, I'm aware of it. I don't, I'm curious, isn't it released this Friday? I think it's already out. Doesn't it have Mario Lopez in it as the colonel? It does have Mario Lopez, who is another... It probably is. is. Uh, No one is talking about it, except as a meme, really. No one's actually, like, watching it. One of my friends claimed to have watched it and tweeted about it, so... You know what? Your friends are younger than my friends. So. I'm going to I'm gonna Google Wings of Mario Lopez and see what comes up. Maybe my friend claiming he watched it uh, was like the equivalent of when your like, friends at school say their uncle works for Nintendo. Maybe it was like trying to like lie for clout. Maybe. I don't know. Do y'all have any holiday traditions? Don, can we start with you? Uh, well, um, as you know. Wow, that sounds uh, great. <laughs> sounds like you're having a lot of fun. <laughs> As you are aware, my family hearkens from an olden time when we all dressed up to go to uh, Christmas meals. So my Christmas Eve is usually a uh, smorgasbord, a Swedish smorgasbord. Oh, cool. So it's a bunch of like pickled fish and sausages and a lot of cheeses and um, 
Swedish meatballs, and so that's I love Swedish meatballs. That's one thing that we do. I I I do enjoy that particular bit. Um, but that's melded with my wife's family's tradition. So for them, they have hot pot, um, which is uh, you essentially have a boiling pool of, uh, in the Chinese tradition, is water, and you dip all sorts of things in it to sort of boil at the table, and then you mix it with some sauces that you have in front of your plate, and you eat that. Um, so we're going to do... The Swedish smorgasbord thing dip is usually like gefilte fish and in hot pot and see what happens. There's, you know, we haven't done gefilte fish, but there is um, gravlax, which is a cured salmon. I like that. Um, I like gravlax that is a lot. So, um, all these things being said, uh, yeah, that's that's one of the food traditions that we have. And my family has been in the habit of opening one present on Christmas Eve, and of course the kids start whining about it at like you know one in the afternoon. It's like, no, you gotta wait until the evening. You gotta suck it it's up. It's so arbitrary. Um, <laughs> It absolutely is, you know. I mean, for me, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, at this point in my life, it's like, well, yes, I'm very happy to have presents, but um, Chris, I don't know if you have any children. <laughs> nope. Can't say I do. I, I, I'm not surprised. And I would just say... <laughs> what does that mean? No. It means it that means... someone would do a podcast and stretch the episodes out so long. Obviously doesn't just have from... time for a love life. Ooh, from the banter, ouch. from the banter that we had been doing, I did not feel the world weariness of having oh. children weighing on your shoulders. Oh, that's, that's where I was coming from. That's a much nicer version than Sabrina. <laughs> yeah, I know, but because I wasn't trying to insult you, I was. Uh, <laughs> I was so you're the good host. Say, yeah, I mean, you know, you can you can stay up late. Oh, I don't care. I'll stay up till three in the morning. For us, it's like, oh, I don't care. I'll stay up till three in the morning, and then it's like at five a.m. Your kid's like, I don't feel well. I'm gonna crawl <laughs> in your bed and hit your stomach until eight. Like that's you know that's that's our lives. Right so, on. You know, that's sort of where I'm coming from there. But yeah, um, so we have all. So these in this movie, you're things. like, ditch the baby. <laughs> it's bad. Oh, I mean, we'll you'll get our parental perspectives on it. I'm I'm sure. Can't wait. Um, but the. Yeah, so that those are those are some of the traditions that let's go that on to Chris. To. You brought him up, <laughs> might as well. Do y'all uh, do you have any holiday traditions, Chris? Yeah, and I guess maybe they're kind of unconventional. I didn't really think about this as being different, but um, in my family, we did this really weird thing where they would go out and they would get this big plant from a forest and they'd put it in the living room, and then they would put <laughs> boxes underneath it. I didn't fucking know. I just do basic ass Christmas shit. I was not ready for like these sweetest traditions to come out. So I was like, oh damn, people have like real culture and traditions. Yeah. I just do like the standard commercialism shit. But you know, it's nice. I mean, I, I, I like family Christmas stuff. I do the traditional things like the Christmassy kind of like putting a tree in the house, decorating it, playing Christmas music. But I also like to just like find a baby in the back alley of a hospital and steal it. And then go on adventures with it. With is it really stealing if nobody actually has ownership at the time? They rescued the baby. I don't understand what you're on about this with the stealing shit. This is why I came in so hot because you're like leading into the movie <laughs> and you're being all judgy about what they did. They did the right thing. They rescued the baby from the trash. And your version, they're just like good night and like put the trash back on it and like walk away. Yeah, like, what I, are you on no, about? No, no, they I'm definitely took the baby, Camp Chris and then on this multiple road. times they endangered its life. It almost starts. Yeah, but not in the beginning. And they never deliberately endangered the baby's life. We, they had no idea whether the baby it had any of its harm. shots. They had no idea whether it was oh a... Oh, my God. You're going to get it could, shot. Whether it, it could sh- take Of course formula. it didn't have its shots. Well, okay. The, the feeding thing... Here's my parental side kicking in. That is in. a new The feeding board. thing was sort of... Um, 
random because it is not like babies <laughs> in the movie it's like oh yeah the baby will eat what you feed it no that that doesn't exactly. always work let me tell you exactly uh, and the baby was always quiet when they needed it to be quiet it didn't like scream through the night as most babies are wont to do especially newborns so there was there was all sorts of stuff there that i was like yeah you know it seems like it's sweet to have a baby running around but it's usually not it sucks are we pro eggnog or anti eggnog in this podcast definitely pro eggnog although i will say um and I don't have the brand on me. There is a brand of dairy-free eggnog, which is like, I forget, it's a soy-based eggnog, which is fantastic. And it's like half the calories and you get everything you would get in regular eggnog. You wouldn't even know that it's different. What about the eggs, though? What about You them? said you get everything you that you to, like, would get in eggnog. Everything, everything you would want from a flavor profile. Like, why do you need eggs? Are you just like swallowing eggs to like, I'm glad to suck down this unfertilized chicken like i wouldn't want the eggnog without nog i don't even know what nog i is, wish but... that i wish that roger ebert handled his movie reviews the way that sabrina handles her movie podcast where he's like <laughs> apocalypse now is a wonderful motion picture about the darkness of human hearts what do y'all think about mcdonald's like midway through just like completely breaks off there's asking about some random shit you haven't answered Can the I question this thing? you'd be a great politician chris dodging these questions <laughs> like that's the hard questions I, i'm dodging the fact that i don't really remember if i've had eggnog i think i like it i'm not positive uh, it's an old thing probably um it's good I've oh you know it actually I, I, it just reminded me though my family did have a, a christmas tradition we kind of stopped doing it after my great grandma died but we used to drink um grasshoppers on christmas the alcoholic beverage mm. i had non-alcoholic versions as a kid obviously but Oh, I don't either, but I... I'm okay, you all want to talk so much about this movie. Let's talk about the movie. It came out in 2003. It's directed by legendary Japanese director Satoshi Kon. May he rest in peace. The goat. Taken <laughs> from us way too soon. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, he had a lot more to give, I think. and But the stuff that he was able to create while he was with us on this plane of existence is is very good and this was this is another example of a movie i think this movie is interesting because it's sort of an outlier it's not as um psychological i guess would be yeah. the word uh-huh. it's it's very straightforward it reminds me have you ever seen the straight story by david lynch where he just decided to make a movie about a guy driving a tractor all the way across a lawnmower all the way across country to apologize to his brother who he had a falling out with years prior no like it's no. not done in the like cinematic language that we usually associate david lynch with which is sort of like rural horror uh like um surrealism like all that is kind of put to the side and it's just a very beautiful striking movie about a very simple sort of direct emotion it's funny because now that you mention it um the the woman at the end who uh, stole the baby, she almost feels like she would have been the main character of Satoshi Kon's more psychological work. That sort of like anguish that she's in and the grief and like kind of like, I mean, acting like a fucking lunatic. Like, uh, you know, that that is typically what you see, um, like you said, like more in the forefront as opposed to like this very like sweet, almost like, I mean, it's like relatively family friendly movie. Like it's obviously very dark in its yeah. own way, but like, yeah. Aside from the like the beatdown that the bum gets and a little bit of the sort of like action adventure towards the end, 
there's not a lot that I would say is objectionable as far as the material goes in this film. Well, what about the assassination attempt? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Not objectionable? I don't know. Kids like, have seen Jurassic Park. It's fine. I guess there's some shooting at the beginning. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's pretty violent, I suppose. So I think Don has a point, but I don't know why. <laughs> I didn't really well, think it, of it as that shocking. Yeah, no, well, I, I actually I actually kind of did in its own way because um, you brought up the, the action adventure type stuff. This mo- this movie is surprisingly terrifying, considering like what's going on in it. Like like that it is kind of like this like romp about like you know saving a, a baby on Christmas Eve or whatever. Like th- when when this movie goes to that action space, it fucking goes there. Like the the car chase with the woman and how many car crashes there are where people <laughs> are like flying into railings and like getting smashed into stuff. And it's like oh my god. And like the the beat at the end where the baby's falling like i was like legit oh, yeah. gasping that was like, terrifying. like the, I was like, no! the action stretches of this movie are more effective than like a good chunk of actual devoted action movies it's kind of nuts it, it all played into the idea that that there was like a divine presence sort of like protecting and yes. guiding the action in the movie and that it yeah. was sort of like it was it was that that old um christian adage of like the war the lord works in mysterious ways mm-hmm. like um it seemed like the ways that the lord works were very mysterious indeed and and he's a very good script writer the lord <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, and what's funny about that too is that is that typically speaking he would actually be a bad script writer because a lot of screenwriting wisdom is like oh well like you know, you don't want too much like coincidence and whatever else. And like this movie is oh, literally point. all about coincidences. <laughs> but the thing is, though, is that this movie earns it. I think that it totally works because of the premise that like they found this baby who like apparently like, you know, God is smiling on and like it's Christmas and it's the season and everything's going to work out. The fact that like everywhere they turn, they run into someone they know and it like like helps them towards reconnecting with their families. It totally works for me. I, I never was like, oh, that's a, a big coincidence in a bad way. Like, I think it's the rare movie that can pull that off. Whereas a lot of times you're like, okay, come on, really? It's his daughter at this hospital and then they meet the other person's family by coincidence too. It's like, in this movie, it's like, it, 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 you buy in because of the way that it set itself up. Don? I mean, I thought this movie was um, a little bit schizophrenic in that I, I didn't always enjoy the the changes in tone but there was always something happening in this movie um and as as chris pointed out it's also a christmas movie which i thought was kind of <laughs> fun and and uh um uh an interesting take as we're heading into christmas as well i i guess i would say like i i very much enjoyed a lot of it but i did feel like some of the the underlying sadness pieces were like so sad that it did bring me down a little and maybe that's just like it was hard for me to to match the emotional tone of the movie when it went from sort of madcap rush or, or uh, chase scene to um, sort of tenderhearted, um, I, I don't know, bonding over um, feeding a baby or something like that. It felt like in every situation, characters had kind of put themselves in this bad situation and it took understanding their connections to others and to the events in their lives to really pull them back into society or to pull them back into, into understanding their role again. Like they were lost and then they were found again. I, 
I suppose that's true, but I also felt like um, like the, some of these stories were profoundly sad, and uh, and I that was where I was getting hung up. Like if you're if you're Jin, for am I pronouncing Gin? Mm-hmm. If you're Gin, like it's a pretty rough rough life you've you've been running through right like you you abandoned your your wife and child because you were a drunkard and you you couldn't handle it and you've been lying to your close associate this whole time like it's hard for me to to sort of um to counterbalance that against this baby's ability to invoke the divine if you if you will which seems to happen a lot that's kind of what i was getting at though is the idea that gin in particular exemplifies this because his story originally feels like he's the victim of circumstances beyond his control and it turns out that he's a liar and that this whole time he was in control and he's the one who crashed the the proverbial bus like he's the one who who destroyed his own life in the choices he made and you get that with Miyuki and you get that with Hana as well like, they all had circumstances foist upon them that kind of gave them choices, and they all made bad choices out of those circumstances. And it's not until they start to see that maybe making those choices wasn't such a bad thing after all. And Chris, I don't even know if you're there anymore because I can't see you, but... I'm here. Uh, very good. <laughs> yeah, that's how I sort of interpreted kind of like the personal journeys of the characters. Um, I, so I thought okay, the how do I you, thought the darkness I, worked can, in that regard. I got to jump on on Gin's story in particular. How is Gin's actions? How have they been the right choice to have made? I'm saying that the fact that he was there to save this baby is what makes it the right choice. Not the right choice per se, but the choice that ends up creating the greatest good for the universe. Huh? That I hadn't hadn't looked at. I, that feels sort of like it's a story of Job. Like, uh, you have to lose everything except your faith in God. And then at the end, I, I guess you're rewarded. What what did happen to... That's God, what, baby. Yeah. That's how what he plays. What did happen to Job in the end in the Bible? I guess I'm not up on my Bible stories. Something about salt. I don't know. No, I don't think he was turned into a pillar of salt. I, I may not have a lot up on the Bible. He got, Wasn't that his wife? Didn't the wife get turned? He got a know, Job. It's right there in his name. <laughs> That's, I, the, that's why we all work at Job's. Yes. We all pay homage to him. The, God. The uh, the tone really worked for me. I, I really, and, and, you know, and this is like uh, one of my like media hills to die on is that I think like a lot of times like radical shifts in tone are not inherently bad. Like I thought that the comedy in this movie worked really well and also the like depiction of really sad personal and societal conditions was effective as well. And I think that they kind of work together to create the overall feel of the movie. And also if you're, if you're buying into like the sweet Christmas movie nature of it, it only makes it better that these people that why their lives are so depressing by the end of it, they do like find some like peace. And then it's like, that's the Christmas miracle, right? Is that like, you know, even someone whose life has gone like, as bad as some of theirs have been like it came back around and um so i see your point chris and i think this 
Yeah. I, I, I can see... I mean, you do get the full emotional gamut in this movie, that's for certain. Um, the reason that I'm saying that I had a little trouble with the tonal shifts is because I do... It's like... I think it was a show called Happy Tree Friends or something. Um, is, is, <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's go one, on. Can't wait to see well, where this is going. That's the one where like, they do all these horrible things to like... Uh, or all these horrible things happen to uh, these... I, these happy tree friends, whatever they might happen to be. Okay. Yes. And so I Correct. remember watching that like right after my first kid was born. And, and I was at something with a bunch of friends and we were all just sitting around like shooting the shit. And this show was on in the background. And um, after like a half hour of it, I was like, can we just turn this off? Because I just can't emotionally disengage in the fact that there's like a little kid getting like pulverized or uh, you know is losing a kneecap or something in the background even though I know it's cartoon and even though I know it doesn't matter and the whole point is like these happy creatures should you know suffering these gruesome deaths is supposed to be um, uh, edgy or something I was like I just can't I can't mentally disengage from the fact that I have like a little newborn at home and I just don't want anything cute and lovely to get smashed in, in my face I just can't deal with it and so um, it was definitely not something that I like in the past, I definitely would not have had a problem with that. But now, like looking at like the old bum who like dr they drag his dead body out of the out of his makeshift um, home and they're gonna like start beating him with an iron bar or something, and I'm like, that's so incredibly tragic to me. I had uh, trouble like pulling myself away from that story and getting sucked back into. Um, you know the the more lighthearted elements that came. It's a Christmas tradition. I'm sorry, but it's a Christmas <laughs> tradition to drag a that, bum out and beat them up. You are making me eat my words about it being a family friendly romp because I did kind of forget about the <laughs> part with the poor old man. But I think that this is part of it though too. Is that for for me? I guess I think of it as like, but that's like that's life. Like li life is simultaneously like you know, the most dark, depressing thing that, that exists. And also these moments of like beautiful, like tenderness and connection with other people. And I, so I think for movies to kind of go to both ends of the spectrum is like, is realistic in a way. And it's like, it, it like is emotionally resonant because we recognize that, right? Like we know that things like that exist. And we also know that, you know, people can come back together after misfortunes and, and misunderstandings and, and like, uh, mend their wounds and whatever else. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I think it's just like a nice, a nice total picture of, um, I don't know, uh, the, the human condition. And and one thing that I really mm -hmm. liked about this movie too is that I think it gives a really compassionate treatment to groups of people that a lot of movies don't like, like the homeless population for one. You know, like it's there's there's not a lot of times where they are the main character and the movie looks at them with empathy, right? They're usually like a gag or like a side character that gets killed by a villain. So, you know, like, oh, like this monster is out on the streets and they kill the homeless person. You know what or I mean? Or like, there's simply rarely, like, uh, a magical element to some other character's story, like in Home Alone 1 exactly. and 2. Even though the guy ends up being the neighbor, he's first seen as, seen as like this scary serial killer drifter. And then in Home Alone 2, the pigeon lady is seen as some kind of predatory presence until she ends up being the like pure soul of the film. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of what I liked about it is that, not to call you two out, but, you know, the thing that I liked about this movie is that, like, this movie never once saw its characters as bums. 
Like, they were, like, full people who had bad circumstances happen to them, and they maybe made questionable choices or whatever, but, like, the movie had a lot of empathy and care for them, and so we did, too, as the audience, and I just feel like that's super valuable for, for, um, you know, the groups of people that don't normally receive that in terms of... I agree, but I also feel that, that the idea of these two sides of society is built into the holidays as a tradition. You know, like, there's always canned food drives around Thanksgiving and into Christmas. There's there's the mm-hmm. guy outside the store ringing the bell. It's part of the Norman Rockwellian, like, cheery visage of Christmas, right? But at the same time, you've got people staying indoors with family, like, with friends. And then you've got people out on the street who are, for the most part, forgotten on that day, you know? Uh, we pay lip service yeah. to them in a lot of ways, but they're they're not going to be the focus but here we're spending time with those characters and not the family who is warm inside and happy um i did want to talk talk a little bit about the fact that this sort of seems like a bit of a retelling of the bible story of the three wise men and the and and the, the baby christ oh, that's funny. because i they, hadn't thought about that the baby may not be found in reeds <laughs> but the baby is found in uh, you know, like as far as Moses and stuff goes, like there's similar story parts to the Bible. I'm mixing it all up right now. Let, but. Yeah, let's just let's just jump to Moses, and then we can go back to you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm saying that like it's they 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 are there for the birth of this miracle baby, and they shepherd it through these trials and whatnot to get it to where it needs to be to eventually i mean i'm just saying that the baby's gonna grow up into christ that's what i'm saying clearly (laughs) duh kyogo christ yeah of course that's that's what the baby will do i uh that's so interesting i wouldn't have thought of that well actually do okay this is gonna go on a tangent for a second do the white did the wise men do that i thought they just like brought their frankincense and myrrh did they like help i don't know you know what i don't know if i've ever read this actual story but they they had some inkling that the baby was going to be born and it would be important. And they traveled okay. to it and brought the gifts. And I assume they they were involved in some... Po- Is three men and a baby the story of Christ? Some biblical scholar right now is fucking pissed listening yeah. to this. You um, know, um, Mary, it was, what about Joseph? Was he also there being like, hey guys, what what's up? Oh, yeah, like the guy that was just surrounded by his own filth. <laughs> <laughs> what? Maybe I missed that particular The guy part. in uh, Tokyo Godfather. Yeah, I'm talking about Sachiko's boyfriend, like, oh, living yeah, in no, his own filth. Horrible, but I didn't know that that's how you were getting to the 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 Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. <laughs> that's a, that's well, the Well, I was going in it because that's the only character that sort of matches that. But at the same time... Uh, it turns out that Sachiko is not the mother. She's just suffering from. It appears to be Major postpartum delusions. depression, but it could just yeah. be like a sort of separation yeah. anxiety, a, a PTSD from losing her own child. Uh, and it's like ripped right out of the headlines. This happens. Uh, a woman who's lost her child will kind of lose a sense of her reality, and should we say all too often, will steal another baby. In order to raise it as their own. It happens in penguin society too, so <laughs> I guess of the places can you I thought you were a going. Remaking this with penguins. Yeah, I can. Very vividly. 
Happy Feet Four. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, so anyway, going back to the ideas of sort of the overlap of Christian mythology, there was sometimes where I thought it was a bit tongue in cheek. I put a clip up on Twitter of after he gets beat up, Gin is in an alley and an angel appears to him. And in a very sing-songy sort of manner, she's like, should I give you my miracle or an ambulance? <laughs> Shall I use my, should you, should you have a wish for my magic or an ambulance? And he's like, uh, ambulance. <laughs> and she yeah. gets like, kind of like huffy and puffy with him. I thought that was kind of funny. And then of course they all reunited in that unlikely situation. Yeah. I found all the characters like, well, I mean, I'm mostly talking about the main characters, like the, the, the main trio. I found them so lovable, oh, like yeah. immediately. Like I really latched on to the, the three of them. I don't know how the other you two felt about, about them. I, I like them very much. I did. I agree with you that they were all lovable rascals at, at worst. Um, but I was curious about, um, uh, about Hannah. What I didn't understand was Hannah had, how did Hannah end up in these circumstances? Like Hannah had been working at the club. She had great times. She had a, a, a lover. They were together. Um, and then her lover died and she just started living on the street. So what happened was that I don't, I'm not exactly sure which order these happened in, but she lost her husband and then she, um, she snapped and assaulted a customer at the club for harassing her. So she like yeah. kicked him in the yeah, face so and caused a bunch of trouble for the club. And then thinking that like she had done something like, you know, ir- irreparably harmful to the club and her like sort of found family, she ran out and like didn't think she could go back. And then when she like in this movie meets up with them again, um, the woman that runs the club is like, oh, that was fine. We covered that with like, money. you know, we just gave yeah, that dude yeah, some yeah. money and we smoothed it over. But in her mind, it was like she had ruined like the whole club for everyone. Right. She could never return. But what I didn't, I I thought that happened before she sort of left with her husband. So I was kind of like, well, then I, I didn't quite get it. But thank you for. I like the word found family because I think yeah. that works in both the sense that Hannah had a found family that that she sort of betrayed with her actions. And the shame of it drove her away, even though she would later find out that it was okay. Like, that she could have stayed. But that sense of, like, guilt and shame drove her away. And um, also our trio are a found family. Yeah. You know, they've at, at points, it seems like Gin and Hana have a husband-wife thing going. Kind which of. she's extremely resentful of. But, and... Miyuki plays their daughter, basically, in that scenario. Yeah. Also, uh, Kat texted me from the other room because they can hear me and said uh, her man died after she left because the owner didn't know he died, which is true. So I think it was maybe yeah. that once she left the job and then once her her dude died, then maybe she had no more money, couldn't turn back to yeah. that job. And then, like, you know, it went from there. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't put that yeah. together. Well, although... It, it makes sense to a certain point. There is a certain point at which I'm like, well, if you had sucked it up, uh, you could have gone back and not be living on the street. Although I will say, um, it seems like they have a fairly reasonable existence. They are homeless, but they actually do have like a, a, a tent home. I'm not claiming that that's nice, but it's better than some. I found that the Japanese homeless societies that I've I've witnessed, not been a part of, but I've... 
I've been around when I was living in Japan were very ingenious. Uh, they had a lot of ingenuity in the way that they survived. Um, a lot of them used certain like hand cranks and other things to uh, to create electricity. Uh, there was one that had a Game Boy that was that had a solar thing, a solar panel hooked to it. Oh shit! And they would charge it during the day, and like they they did. There was a documentary on it that I watched over there that that had a lot more examples of this. But I feel like that um, sometimes homelessness in Japan seems like it was a lifestyle choice, or at least it was an embracing of a new lifestyle after a previous lifestyle fell apart or didn't hold together in some way. That's also true of truckers in Japan, strangely enough. There's a very like specific kind of freedom that's like given to truckers who are sort of allowed to exit the like blue suit wearing, you know, like going to a job, working for the betterment of society kind of thing. Like they're seen as sort of like free spirits. And I always thought that was interesting. Yeah, and that here, makes sense. I think that there's a romanticism to some of the homelessness you see in this movie, I would say. I would agree with that. Although they clearly need a bath in several scenes and, you know, it doesn't, uh, they don't always, they're not always treated that well by society. But when they're within their bubble of homelessness, it can have a sort of idyllic quality to it. The one thing that is sort of missing from this, which is very prevalent in American homeless society, is sort of a a larger presence of madness and uh, um, mental instability, I think is the word that I'm going for. Yes, I don't know how much that would be an issue in Japan as opposed to the U.S., but I know that the U.S. problem with insanity and whatnot and mental problems in the homeless community is partially related to the fact that we keep closing mental hospitals and we keep defunding that sort of uh, health care, mental health care that's available to people. Uh, so these people get turned out into the street and they have no way to, you know, get a job or work that uh, work enough to provide themselves a life and everybody else has sort of tossed them aside. Like we, I live in New Jersey where we had several mental hospitals, huge ones, one that was featured in the season finale of House MD, um, close, just close completely. And those people were just displaced among the population. Like there was nowhere for them to go. So they just went to the streets like you it's weird you just can't pretend that like that's not an issue it's yeah it's fun <laughs> it's fun talking I'm, about this <laughs> so yes once again the light-hearted romp uh <laughs> but it, you know but it kind of is though i don't know that's what i don't know i love i love the 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 differences in in tone here I, I don't need to like just like go back into it and like repeat myself but i i i think that like you know, I don't know. I think it all works. I I, I think it. Uh, I, I laughed out loud several times during this. Like, yeah, definitely. There's a cinematic tradition of of portraying homeless life life as sort of like rowdy or like you know like romanticizing it. Like a little. the hobos are singing their songs and they're like yeah. 
they're gathering around the fire and they're very colorful characters. And I think we get a lot of that here. I know that the the portrayal, as Chris said, is more sympathetic and, and we're meant to empathize more with them. But uh, I think that there is some of that like fun and uh, rowdiness to Hey there, I'm Marn, and I've got a new podcast right here on the Orange Groves Network. Every other Thursday on Dead Letter Society, I'm going to invite a friend into my library of terror to discuss a piece of horror fiction. We'll tackle topics like, why does Stephen King like evil clowns so much? Why is Ikea so inherently scary? And why don't young adult publishers like the horror genre? You can even read along with us week to week and weigh in with your own opinions on the Orange Groves Discord. So check out Dead Letter Society, a horror book club podcast, on the Orange Groves Network website or your podcast provider of choice. Hey Jory, have you ever watched the anime called One Piece? Yeah, Joe. I watch for a podcast that we do. What? You know, we are watching One Piece. I started watching it so you could rewatch it, and then we talk about it sometimes. I have have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we don't do it super frequently. Once a month at best. Did you forget? We analyze the story and discuss the show's themes, characters, compare it to other media, and how it provides an allegory for real-life politics and events. I, I must have forgotten what... Where can I listen to remind myself? You can listen at the Orange Groves Podcast Network or search for We Are Watching One Piece in your favorite podcast app. What's a podcast? a little bit about just like the animation i first of all it's a beautiful fucking movie like everything satoshi Kon works on is um in particular i was really noticing like the way that they played with faces during the movie like they exaggerated their facial features in like comedy scenes or or even when like hana would get really mad her face would get all twisted up and they would sometimes like morph like the the size and shape of their <laughs> face and facial expressions. They would change art styles kind of like I thought that worked really well. And like the the one that really stood out was when um Gein is in the apartment of the the person that Sabrina said is Joseph and he like trips onto him and they both freak out and they're like, you know, yelling at each other from across the room in like a panic. And like their faces and the way they're moving, like something about the whole I'm not like animation savvy enough to be able to talk about it in like technical terms but it's almost like the frame rate or something changes and like they are they're moving so strangely and their faces are all big and exaggerated and like th- their movement speed is like different than the rest of the movie and it stood out it was like this is a great way to like visually depict the situation they're in i just thought that was great and that works towards your appreciation for the differences in tone because if you change the animation style or you play things up with more uh, exaggerated motion and and elements, then that would sort of it would buffer the comedy from being tainted by the drama, yeah, and vice versa. Yeah, it's keeping your food separate on your plate. Do you do that? Uh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> uh, 
I had a grandfather that used to, and this goes back to the holidays. I remember because we used to have chocolate cream pie and he would he would just plop the cream pie right into his leftover gravy. That's hellish. And he would like, he would sing song like, it's all going to the same place. <laughs> I regret to inform you that your grandfather was a criminal. Yeah, that, uh, yeesh. That's not what I would do with that food. I, I, I also very much like the animation style. Um, there was just a lot of there wasn't too much focus on detail per se it was the but you did have this exaggerated action that i i thought was sort of lovely and and um and the characters were real without being too real um and i also liked the the, the people were not beautiful or flawless yeah, like i noticed that too a lot of people you know we had a lot of like gaps in our teeth mm-hmm. and we had a lot of um you know eyes that were set close together or um just just you know regular regular people are being portrayed here and we're and they are well differentiated from each other it's not like that was going on but there was a very the the portrayal of the characters was simple enough um and yet animated enough that i i just thought it was yeah great. fantastic character design all around I thought that was really good in that um, the character Miyuki, who is a high school student, mm-hmm. she's not, she's, she doesn't look like the typical Japanese high school student that often shows up in these things. Yeah. And that could just be that, you know, maybe the era uh, didn't call for certain streamlinings of the design and stuff. Like they probably had a little bit more leeway to make her, I don't know what the word is, maybe rounder or... She's not, she's not like drop dead kawaii. Like she's not like the, like what you would imagine when you think of anime high school girl. She's very much like grounded in a reality. Her, her, her facial features are not uh, immediately striking, but she has charm. And I think all the characters are rather charming. Mm -hmm. Um, Even, and I now have to talk about this. Even Hana, who she's a bit antiquated. I think if you were to show this to someone uh, who's not that familiar with anime from this era, uh, they might find some objectionable qualities to the way that she's portrayed as a... And she never calls herself a trans woman. She calls herself gay, which is just sort of a catch-all phrase in Japan. But usually it means feminine-leaning gay man. Yeah, I I as well felt there was a lit like if you rewind ten years, twenty years, twenty years, absolutely. This is a progressive character. Um, this is it was nice to see it on screen. Treatment. You're right. Like I think having this character and having them be empathetic and not just a caricature, like having those having some depth. Uh, but there's plenty of those big moments where like. Uh, she yells like a man. She suddenly like has that gear shift where like she's just a dude. Like, and she yeah, uses she that is... to emphasize her power, which is actually a good character thing. But it also comes off as laughing at her a little bit. What did you think, Chris? Um. Well, I mean, I, this is where I'm like starting to be like, oh, I don't really know if it's my place to, to say. Um. I thought that the character, whilst yes, like some of the 
the like terminology and stuff around her is is definitely dated like for example i believe we watched it on amazon prime and it described her as a drag queen um it, i i personally read her as a trans woman based on how many times she like specifically referred to like wanting to be thought of as a, a as a woman and a mother and she was upset that she was in the men's hospital area yes yes um, i thought that the that she was great and the movie had a lot of care for her and that's kind of what i was getting at too when i was talking about how the movie is is like extending more um empathy and care to its homeless characters i thought the same thing of of hana as a trans woman leading character that you know there are times in the movie that other characters make shitty comments about her and at first i was kind of like oh i'm a little nervous about this but i i think that for the most part the movie like the movie cared about hana and was not making her a joke and like so i thought that for the most part that was handled pretty well but i'm obviously not the authority on on that i'm not the authority on that i may be a trans woman but i certainly am not the authority on whether (laughs) whether something is offensive to the community or not um i do think that you're right though i think that the movie in the characters in the movie make fun of hana but the movie doesn't make fun of hana the movie celebrates her yeah and it celebrates her even as a like even though a lot of a lot of times things are things are um jokes are told at the expense of her i i think she still comes through with her dignity in the end yeah and uh and we see that she's a flawed person so there are things that that you can legitimate, like whenever Gin makes fun of her, uh, or calls her less than <laughs> kind terms, uh, it feels like it comes from a place of love. I'm sure if your dad said that to you, you'd be livid and probably upset with them, or your husband said that to you. But uh, in this case, I I felt a lot of love from the characters who were insulting her. And from the ones who didn't really get her, I didn't feel like that was like condemning the film itself. It was more just those are characters who don't get it or who are making snap judgments. Yeah, like the people that that besides Gein, who you're right, which it feels weird to like defend like his like use of some of the the words that he uses. But I also got the impression that that's just sort of his personality and and that they kind of they give each other shit in those ways. Um, but the characters that are truly like oppositional towards her because of, uh, you know, that stuff, I think the movie looks at them as assholes. I don't think that, you know, like, you know, the, the, the dude that she kicks in the club, I feel like, you know, the, the, the filmmakers are like, yeah, fuck that dude. You know, he sucked. He was a bad person. Yeah. I would agree completely. So the, the treatment of Hannah is very fair. It is the, it is... Hana's exaggerated style the question is you know how is that a I guess in particular I think what bothers what would maybe the most um the scene that I think bothers me the most is really right at the beginning when they're in the food line and um and Hana is talking about eating for two <laughs> um and it it really it, it to me it something about it felt just a little off even though I understood where um, where Satoshi Kon was coming from in introducing the character, like that, just the the 
because Hannah has a lot of respect for herself. Um, and that didn't feel as respectful, uh, I think. As or a gag, it pays off, though. Later in the film, when the same woman sees her, and she has the baby, and she's right, like, she's like How? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even catch that. I must have been, like, distracted for a second. That's great. I that's actually I'm glad you said that, because one of the other things I wanted to bring up was I... And, like, sorry, I'm gonna like, be a writing geek for a second, because that's, like, my biggest thing, but... Um, is it? <laughs> I love this movie's fucking use of foreshadowing. Like every time they paint it off, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't see that coming. Like the beginning where like, you know, just that, that very scene where she's talking about like, oh, like I'm going to be a, a mother. I didn't know what the movie was about. So then like later when like they find the baby, I was like, oh fuck. And like, like that just kept happening. Like they kept like planning things. And then like, not even that deep later. It's like, oh, fuck, that was actually, like, you know, tipping the hat to, like, what was going to happen a little bit later. I wish I had a better example to bring up, uh, like, an additional example, I guess. But I, I was struck by that, like, over and over again. I thought they did a great job with, with little stuff like that. I have a bad example, Go which for is it. Forrest Gump, which is, you know, like, you're going from uh, happy little coincidences or things that sort of thematically tie in to just, like, and then this happened, and gosh, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. So, like, Forrest Gump is, like, to me, kind of the bad version of what you're saying, which is... I And I don't dislike Forrest Gump. I think it's a fine film, and I think it works. Uh, it, it gives the audience what you want out of it, but at the same time, it's hokey. It's really hokey. And I feel like Tokyo Godfathers, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it dodged that sort of hokiness um, by kind of, I thought, brilliantly paying off a lot of the things it was setting up. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at earlier when I said that it got away with, um, you know, what's normally like hacky screenwriting of just like, oh, and they just happen to have all these things work out and they happen to meet all these other people from their past. And like, like it just like because of the the... The, the legwork they did in the beginning of establishing like there's something kind of supernatural about like this baby and this holiday uh time period that we're in and whatever else then like it they just it justifies itself whereas other movies when they don't do something like that or even sometimes when they do it just doesn't work as well i think it's just like there's something about the heart of this movie that feels genuine instead of like yeah. like christmas schlock you know what I mean? Like, we're like, there are other movies that would say, like, it's a Christmas miracle, but you'd be like, ugh, groan. You know what I mean? Like, but this movie, that, that didn't happen, at least not for me. And yet it did, because Hannah dives, falls off of a building holding the baby, and she grabs onto this, like, hanging advertisement and comes floating down in a cascade of light. <laughs> um... Which, uh, yeah, it makes you laugh. It makes you smile. Yeah, it and, worked for me. And and although then no one said like, it's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> God bless us, you everyone. You definitely felt it. Yeah. Yeah, you do feel it. And I think this movie does that really well. And it's what I wanted to say earlier when I said I didn't have anything to say. It, it's that I think that Chris is right. I think this is a very good example of sort of feeling a miracle on screen. And to me, that's sort of the the power of the film is that miracle. Um, I mean, I guess what's interesting about it is they don't, it's never really acknowledged, right? Everyone watches Hannah float to the ground in this sort of, this incredible gust of wind that catches the, the banner just right. But then 
we literally just move on to the next scene in the movie. There's no, like, holy shit moment from... I mean, people are stunned while watching. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. But then the movie doesn't dwell on it. It doesn't... Um, it doesn't revel in in the the glory of Christ, the Redeemer, <laughs> who saved the... No, that, that didn't happen, yeah. right? It's just... Miracles happen. And sometimes there's a nod to um, Kyoko, and sometimes there isn't. It's like Lemony Snicket's series of fortunate events. <laughs> 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 but, um... I was going to say that I agree with what you're saying. And I also look back at certain scenes where they're clearly nodding towards this idea of a miracle. Like, uh, remember when they're in the convenience store and there's this really shitty drunk guy and, uh, and there was a confrontation brewing and they went outside to deal with it. And at that very moment, a person drives a truck through the store, which was nuts. I do remember that, that scene is fucking crazy. It is. But it's also a miracle. Like, like those people were saved. It, it reminded me of those old, and you would never get this, I think, Chris, but there used to be these old Time Life books um, advertisements on the television. <laughs> the what? And at night, they would air the infomercial for something called Time Life book series. And they were like, they were a collection of like various like, you won't believe what happened if you click here stories. <laughs> um, but in book form, so you, you know, you always had the same ones. And, and some of them were like about coincidences or like a woman got on a plane in North Dakota. And then she found out that the person she was sitting next to was the doctor who was going to deliver her baby in a month. And if she hadn't, gotten his card she wouldn't have known to call him and he wouldn't have been in the same town and like there's just this series of like of coincidences that line up into a story of a miracle and and that's sort of how i see this movie as well yeah also i'm old (laughs) (laughs) can't forget that no well don you pretending not to know what the fuck i'm talking about but god damn it you do well, to be honest, half the time I don't know what you're talking well, about. Fair anyway, enough. So it's, it's not fair. really a pretend. Have you two seen um, other Satoshi Kone? Um, well, I guess Sabrina, you mentioned that you at least have seen some. What's your? I guess like what's your like experience with his other stuff? That's a good question. It's the funny thing is that I've only seen most of his movies once, maybe twice, and and partially. <laughs> partially on something so uh, i don't know if i watch them so much for the plots and the like intricate character stuff i i sort of watch them as experiences in a lot of cases sure um the one i probably watched the most was perfect blue which i really liked it's amazing um did you catch the this is one of the two reasons i was asking did you catch the perfect blue poster on the convenience store window yes i did yeah yes that made me happy um, the other thing, and, and Don, I don't know if you've seen, um, any of Satoshi Kon's other stuff, but I've actually, this is only my third, I saw Perfect Blue, and then I watched Paranoia Agent, and then now I've seen this, and it was really interesting seeing some of the similar things popping, you know, you watch, like, a, like a certain person's work, and you notice that they kind of come back to things sometimes, like, yeah, there were several things in this that reminded me of Paranoia Agent, although it's interesting because actually this came first. So rather than be, it being like a Paranoia Agent, Paranoia Agent is like Tokyo Godfathers. But um, the old man in this, 
uh, both looks and actually is the exact same voice actor as the old man that is an important role in Paranoia Agent. Um, there's also there's also chalk drawings in both Tokyo Godfathers and Paranoia Agent, and there's um, that that kind of gaggle of women in the neighborhood that are gossiping about what happened with the couple. Oh yeah, that's very reminiscent of the show as well. Um, and also the the biggest thing is that the the main cast, the trio we have in this movie, is kind of like the trio who are um, trying to kill themselves together in Paranoia Agent. It's just a bunch of stuff that if you've seen both, it's kind of like rewarding because you're like oh like he he comes back to something like this in his next work because i believe uh cat looked it up and paranoid agent was like the next thing after this well, that's what we're doing next actually are you we really are covering the entire paranoia agent series it's on so this show. fucking good don have you seen it actually have either of you seen it no i have not yet i'm oh. going to watch it over over our break we it's, actually since this is the last show of 2020 i'll have some time to watch like paranoia agent and some other stuff i've been meaning to watch you two are in for a fucking treat i think it's incredible um so That's definitely exciting. look forward to that i'm glad i didn't like give anything away when i was just talking about it um, i was wondering if you yeah, might, me too but no i, I like, i'm really It'll I'm, be okay. I'm like big spoiler baby so i wouldn't do that to you yeah but i think that it's it's like would you put this in the rotation of your favorite holiday movies to, like, wheel out in, on the holidays? I would now. What about you, Don? I don't do that. Oh, um, really? Too busy well, eating you know, the sweetest smorgasbord? No, I'm just not... I just... I not would prefer, given the of volume film. of content that exists out there, I would rather watch something I haven't watched before. True than watch something that I have already seen. Christ- like I that's almost always the place I go Christmas to. and Thanksgiving though are kind of almost for movies you've seen a million times though. That's like kind of like the at least in my family, like you watch a Christmas story, you watch uh I don't know, maybe the Grinch if you're feeling feisty. Uh you know, it's like kind of a time of year that people kind of put on like the old tried and true favorites. Um, I feel like it too. It is too because I I always watch the Christmas Vacation. Yeah, which always makes me smile, especially when he gets locked in the attic and he puts on his wife's robe and he tries to get the reel to reel working. <laughs> I'm gonna make my my parents watch or my whole family watch uh, watch this one. And, and my grandma likes Spirited Away, so maybe it won't be such a hard sell. No, I think this. Uh, I think it's, I think it'll play yeah, well. This should be an easy one. This one, I I think this is a an easy. It's an easy recommend for me, in spite of the the challenges I indicated I was having with tone. Like I, it was a beautiful movie. It was an engaging movie. It was um, uh, a, a rewarding movie. And I I couldn't possibly say that you know it's that I couldn't recommend it. I'm it was a morally like bankrupt it. movie in which they steal children. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you liked it, Don. I'm, yeah, this is a relief to hear. Weight off my shoulders. Well, I'm, I, to me, it's easier to, I am hypercritical, especially of things that I think are overall uh-huh. good. Um, because I'm, I'm much more, like, because I'm unequivocally able to recommend them, but then I'm, I'm much more interested in picking apart their flaws or looking at things that um, that they don't do quite right um, because I think that they otherwise stand on their own and they can stand up to the criticism. In that spirit, um, I should do what I do on what I try to do on all podcasts. I do like this, where if I'm like overly like burying a movie, I'll try to be like, here are the things I liked about it. And if I'm like glowing about it, I'll try to find like, what didn't I like? What didn't work for me? I do have like maybe like two things. 
it, I really didn't have much problem with this. But one thing is that I felt like at times the coincidence of running into people with the name Kyoko got a little bit confusing because I started to be like, wait a minute, ah. like, like which Kyoko is this? Who, what is the relation to whoever? And like, eventually I got it all figured out because they, you learn more as it goes on and like you figure it out. But like, I at first thought that the Kyoko that's getting, and I'm sure this is probably by design, at least partially. I thought the Kyoko that was getting married to the, uh, the Yakuza dude was related to Gein, but we find out later he's just reminded of like, well, actually he, he recognized the, the, the groom as like the debt collector but that Kyoko had nothing to do with his daughter Kyoko. So, like, that got, like, kind of confusing at times. Um, so, I wanted to ask you that. It's interesting because that was the one thing I wrote in my note is, what is the significance of having so many women with the name Kyoko? <laughs> what do you think, Don? I think it is simply um, the the... Well, now that you're forcing me to think about it, I maybe it if we're going to extrapolate to a larger theme, like maybe it's the fact that Kyoko the baby is the manifestation of the divine because they keep saying, oh, it's because Kyoko did it. But maybe they're trying to say like, well, really, all of all women, everyone has this, right? It's reflected back in, in everybody that we all meet. All women are Christ-like. Well, I think it's in that direction. I think it's about the fact that Kyoko the baby has unlimited potential. She could become anybody. She's pure. In fact, the word Kyo, the, 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 the kanji they use for the first part of her name means pure. And I think they explicitly They do. They, ex- uh, explain they explicitly the <laughs> explain that as part of the Silent Night storyline, right? Yes. Um, yeah. The Holy Night, the pure child. In Japanese, anyway, that's what they say, right? But I think that she represents, uh, that the name represents the fact that this girl could become another, like, it could go on to live so many different lives depending on how it comes out of this night. Like, the importance of this journey for the, for the, the trio, uh, in delivering the baby to its, to its best chance at a happy life that's part of what we're like witnessing during the night so that was my interpretation chris did you have anything uh else that you thought about sort of like why the name kyoko comes up with so many different female characters in the movie um i mean i i honestly i'm gonna give the boring answer which is again like from a writing perspective it just gives an easy an easy way to tie the characters together as you continue to unfurl like their identities and backstories and connections to each other because you know ooh like he he has a reaction to her name being named Kyoko and they guess it's because of a girlfriend and then you're like oh wait is that like his ex-wife they wait no it's his daughter <laughs> and like if you don't have the same name then you don't get that <laughs> you know like you it's don't, not, and it, yeah. you know it's it, it keeps you it keeps you guessing about the characters and their, and their relationships to each other as you're kind of piecing together this mystery that's all kicked off by the fact that he recognizes this name and has a reaction to it and like you know yeah on top of all the other stuff he said about you know like the silent night stuff it's not a super common name <laughs> so it it does stick out as being uh, a rather important clue to understanding what's happening. But I, I feel like the, the movie is about a lot of regrets and uh, and a second chance or a new start. And a baby itself, just 
untethered from whatever expectations are upon it, untethered from uh, its circumstances and everything. It, it can be anything still. Yeah. And it's a chance to do it again. And what Gin is looking for is a chance to do it again. He, he, he needs to redeem himself with his daughter. Um, but more importantly, he just fucked up so bad. The only thing to do is to start that over again. Yeah. To build that relationship from scratch. So to me, the Kyoko thing is sort of like a nod to that idea. Yeah. Anyway, do either of you have anything more to say about Tokyo Godfathers? Uh, I would say that one thing that I wasn't super into was some of the early stuff with the gangster, but it was fun. It was a little bit freewheeling. Um, I just felt not tonally, but just it was just a little a little goofy in how big the action was, like an assassin. <laughs> Really? <laughs> oh, well, what it was the most challenging thing was the assassin abducts. Um, oh gosh, I said early in the uh, film, but it wasn't that early in the yeah. film. But no, still. it was abducts Miyuki, and then is like, oh, just come home and feed the baby. That's fine. Like, and then he vanishes. Uh, the I have a lot of questions about what is motivating this assassin. I mean, it's like <laughs> and it's why he like, thinks this is a good idea. Well, they, they said on the TV that it was like a you know like battling crime syndicates and stuff, and he only took her hostage so that he could give himself a safe exit. Like he never had any ill will towards towards her. Or the I baby. really, well, I, yeah, really, I don't. I really liked the moment we had between like there was a language barrier. Yes, that scene is but so Miyuki, good. But Miyuki and the uh, the mother had like a, they had a bond that I they shared that very briefly and i thought that was yeah a great scene um you know that that was one of another like it felt like that was like the assassin has a role to play as well yeah like something about that conversation reminds miyuki of her own situation of where she came from and the circumstances that she left things uh and it also solves the problem of sort of like getting the child some care at a necessary part. Right. Of the yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> um, like, like I said, the baby was a little bit in jeopardy at times in the movie, but the universe <laughs> takes care of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that I guess the the main point is the baby was never, in fact, in jeopardy in the movie um, because the baby had divine protection. Yeah. That's an interesting Checkmate. question as well. Do you think that the baby did have divine protection or are we just projecting this sort of upon the story? Is there is there a divine presence in the story or is it clearly is it just in the in the in the margins that we place there? I mean, if it's the in the margins we're placing there, the movie absolutely wants us to do that. It, oh it's yeah, like, there's there's definitely providence in, providence in this movie. Yeah. I mean, there's so many Deus Ex Machinas. Even yeah. at the very end, what I didn't realize that that old man who passed yep. away was holding a winning the winning lottery ticket with you know millions of yen. So now, in, in principle, their woes are over, right? They've got the winning lottery ticket. Miyuki's going back to her family uh-huh. because you've seen that she is. She realizes that Angel has returned. Her her father has put out the the notice in the paper. Yeah. Um, 
and it's clear he's not going to have her arrested or anything like that. And then I guess uh, Gin and Hana are gonna are going to stay together. Uh, is that how we interpret this? Not romantically, but yes, I believe that they uh, that their paths will con- they'll continue to walk the same path together. I guess, but like that's that's also a weird resolution because they weren't they weren't not together. But, but now they they're bonded together. in a different way because at the end of the movie, the, the three of them, three from separate lives whose lives conjoined at this moment in time are all connected to this child as its godfathers. Although I don't know, you know, I don't know how godfathers work when, <laughs> when it's a mom, when it's a girl, but <laughs> I have to assume it's a godmother. But the, t- yeah, the title I, I Tokyo Godfathers, a, Tokyo Two Godfathers and a Godmother isn't quite, I mean, doesn't roll off the tongue. Wouldn't it be Two Godmothers? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. Jeez. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't expecting you to make that mistake. Oh, I'm definitely going to make those mistakes. <laughs> There's less pressure on me not to make those mistakes. <laughs> I I just have three more things briefly to bring up and then i'm i'm good i've all i've said my oh, piece. just three yeah just three but they'll be really quick um one of them uh well, two of them are fun facts and the last one is just an opinion uh first uh fun fact did you did either of you catch in like reading about this on wikipedia at all that it's based on a novel called uh yeah the, the three godfathers um so that's actually what i was thinking about rather than making any sort of like three wise men connection i just like thought about the fact that it was it was uh, a, a very loose adaptation of this book about three bank robbers that find a baby um, which apparently has also been made into like a John Wayne movie and stuff so that's just kind of interesting source material for this um, the other thing is that did you catch that the co-writer of this movie was one of the lead script writers for Cowboy Bebop I did not and I have never seen Cowboy Bebop it's what that one fuck? thing it's that really? one thing on my resume that just Get like it. doesn't make sense. Do it on the podcast. Listen, it's great. I want to. I don't know if we're going to. Nah. The thing is, if we cover something big like that, it's been covered by so many types of people so That's many true. times. That's true. We don't need to cover it. You just need yeah, to just watch, watch it. it. I'll watch it when I want to, you <laughs> bastards. <laughs> Fine. All right. Last thing out of me and then I'm done. Uh... I just wanted to say that the the third act of this movie is is like I, I just had a feeling watching because I I kind of a lot of movies even ones that I like they tend to mm-hmm. lose me in the third act and it's like all right like here we go and there's like you know chasing the bad guy and they fight or whatever like I don't really care this movie has a more engaging third act than like. 90% of Marvel movies and like everything else that are supposed to be all about like here's the big climax like this movie really does have an engaging climax that I would go back and enjoy watching again as opposed to like this is the boring part you know like that chase with the the fake mother with like it gets in like this insane car car chase and yeah. they're like running up the flights of stairs and like they just like all this stuff is happening where like Miyuki's like coat's getting caught on the stairwell and she's trying to pull off of that and like it's just like it's actually succeeding in being a thrilling third act in a movie that you wouldn't expect that from. Like the whole thing is just so like kinetic, like the whole movie is in terms of even just like the way the characters move. And then also like things like the crazy car crashes and, and bikes getting smashed and stuff. But yeah, I just, it just, it just, I don't know. 
whole thing's really well done. Uh, Fucking love Tokyo Godfathers. I mean, it's no RoboCop. I'm just going to say that straight up. I've never seen that, but... You've never seen RoboCop? Yeah, time to yell at me. I'm going to yell at you. Of course I am. You you also do need to see RoboCop as it is formative and um, uh, genre-establishing. It's it's a... It is a, a good movie. It's on my list. It's amazing. <laughs> it's on it's my amazing. list. It's uh, it, amazing. If you're a script writer or you like fancy yourself like a writer of any kind, it is such a beautifully done script. And one thing that really stands out in RoboCop, and I love that I'm talking about RoboCop now, <laughs> is that um, the villains are treated with a kind of like, like a delicate brush stroke where... You, you feel like they really care for each other. Like in so many movies, and I guess this might be something from the 80s because Die Hard kind of has this too. Mm-hmm. But in so many movies, they're like, the, the bad guy's like, okay, you guys go find RoboCop and kill him or I'll kill you. Or he'll be like, like, you didn't kill him? Boom, you're dead. And he'll shoot his own guy just to prove how badass he is. But in RoboCop... They're like he's like no, they killed Rick. Rick was the best of us. <laughs> and like it's it's this is really like touching portrayal of the villains. You gotta see it. It's also like the stuff, guy. Yeah. It's the guy from that '70s show who plays yep. the main bad guy. Yep, he's so good. Can't he's wait. so good. Uh, anyway, aside from RoboCop. I was not as much a fan of the third act and I guess that's kind of shocking because I do enjoy it. I just thought it went it was so much more than I needed. It was so much more over the top than I needed. I actually just watched um Yuasa's uh what is that Ride Your Wave? Have you heard of this movie or seen it? No. It's a it's about a surfing girl who falls in love and has like Almost, she goes almost to the point of getting like engaged with this guy, but he ends up dying in a in a winter surf while trying to save somebody, and then she she like starts seeing his spirit in water, and ride your ride your wave goes crazy in its last bit with like magical realism blending into the real world and in a way that's like super over the top. But for some reason, for me, that worked better than Tokyo Godfathers, which I felt like just like put the put the pedal to the metal. <laughs> it did. I loved it. it. It wasn't bad. I I I'm only criticizing it slightly. Yeah. Um it just was a lot. It definitely Don, was. any final any final thoughts on Tokyo Godfathers? Um would you show it to your cat? I- why my cat has passed away and is in the other world oh no things got sad here quick chris tell a joke (laughs) i no i just i i guess um i don't know what i was expecting out of tokyo godfathers um but i i was i was very i was pleasantly surprised i wanted i couldn't it was funny because i couldn't really see which way it was going and that's why i was always a little trepidatious of the of the dark tonal shifts. Um, but of course it ended on a, a very positive note and uh, I uh, I would recommend it. Okay, great. Well, 
Chris, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me over to your podcast home. I hope I didn't talk too much. I mean, oh no, you've been great. You were fantastic, but thank you for making me look so much better. <laughs> yeah, was a ouch, ouch. All right, this I is the moment we've all been waiting for. Do I get my title? Did I do a good enough job to earn a nickname? What do you think, Don? Uh, fine, but you have to give it to him. Oh, God, really? Uh, see, you weren't prepared for that. I mean, I wasn't, but I want to be kind. But As you should every... be. Oh, as I should be. Okay, well. Um... And it does oh, have well... to be good, so pressure's on. Screenwriting boy genius. <laughs> I'll take that. I will gladly take that and put it on my website that I'm about to plug in a second here. Yes, please do plug whatever it is that you would like to plug. Yeah. This is that part of the show. As we said, I come from an anime podcast called Nervous Rex. We covered uh, all of Evangelion. We're just waiting for the last darn movie to come out. Um, We are too. And uh, other than that, you can find me... uh, I like I said I I write a bunch of stuff. I made a video game this year. My first two comic books came out that I wrote uh, this year. I got two more coming out, including a manga, a forty-page manga that I'm really excited about. Um, and yeah, you can find all that stuff at chrisdhutton.com. Uh, there's links to uh, short films, a play, uh, comics, a video game, and uh, RPGs I've worked on, and wrestling clips. So I've done a bunch of shit. Um, and you are not kidding. Yeah, and uh, that's chrisdhutton.com. Uh, Chris D, not Christy. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Topher Disgrace. Yeah, we're going to have the links to your stuff on the uh, show notes. So anybody who wants to get that information, who doesn't know how to rewind, <laughs> <laughs> can go back. there and and just follow the links from there. Uh, Chris, it's so awesome having you. Uh, Thank you. I'd love to talk more about this, like screenwriting wrestling uh universe that you come from that maybe next time you know where to find me i do now um everybody thanks for listening and if you want to find out more about the show tell us what we should be watching tell us who we should be bringing on go to our twitter it's at okashina podcast o-k-a-s-h-i-n-a podcast you have a great holiday everybody we will see you in January. Not sure of the, f- the date of the premiere yet, but follow us on Twitter and you'll find out uh, for Paranoia Agent, which, as Chris has told us, is something special. Yeah, so. every one of you listen. And that's coming from a screenwriting boy genius, so you have to listen. <sighs> Look at you. Selling it like a champ. I'm ready. All right, we have a little tradition on this show to end the show. Right, we say, Okashiku Ikoyo! Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. You got it? Okashiku ikoyo. Okay. It means let's get peculiar. Okay. In three, two, one. Okashiku Okashiku ikoyo. Good enough. (laughs) Happy holidays, everyone. We've never done a poor enough job uh, to merit total cancellation. We'll nail it next year. (laughs) 